So this morning I've entitled the message, Taking a Stand, Acknowledging Jesus Before Men. You know, as Christians, we need to be vocal about our love for Jesus. People should know that we love Jesus. People should know that we've taken a stand, that we've acknowledged Him, that we've stood for Him. The, the, the age-old question is, is if, is if Christianity was made illegal today, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a question we have to, I mean, do people know, do you live like a Christian? Are you, are you being a salt and light? Is the question that we have to ask ourselves. And as Christians, we must not shy away, we must not be afraid, we must not uh, shy back because we're afraid that someone might think poorly of us. I know that was a struggle I had early in my Christian walk, and I, I'll be honest with you, there's still some times where I get that, that tinge of, what will they think? What will, what will the people in line behind me think if I, if I minister to the, to the cashier at Circle K? I can be honest with you. But the truth is that we need to not be afraid, worry about what people are think. Are people going to point and laugh? Are they going to tease us? I mean, what's the worst that would happen if somebody got angry or they just told you to leave? You would just leave. You know, in the United States... We ain't got it bad at all. I just saw a video uh, that came through on, uh, uh, I don't know, it's not on Facebook. I think someone posted it up. But it was about a, uh, uh, an Arabian man who was being held uh, at gunpoint on his knees. He was a Christian man by ISIS. And uh, they were threatening him, saying they were going to kill him and all these things unless he recanted his faith and he did the, you know, there's only one God and Muhammad is the prophet or whatever their, their little statement of faith is. And, and uh, you know, most, more than likely out of fear, he did so. And then afterwards, these guys said, you know what, nobody is going to shoot this man. So you're almost like, oh, thank God he's not going to die at least. And he goes, well, we're going to behead him because he's not worthy of being shot. That would be too merciful. And then they proceeded to take a, a machete and, and, and saw the guy's head off. It's not, it wasn't a pretty sight. You know, it's not like in the movies where the, you know, it's a, it's a clean whoosh, but it was like using a saw on this guy's head. Is they, they killed him just because he was a Christian. You know, and, and you know, I, don't, I don't know what happens to that guy. I don't know where the state of his heart is because he recanted his faith. You know, and, and I, I, I pray that, that God would still have mercy on him. And, and, but I don't ever want to be in that position. Because the truth is that when we back down because of fear, when we back down because we think that it's going to be okay, that we're going we're gonna to be, but it wasn't for this guy. He backed down and, and he did what they wanted and he succumbed to this terrorist action. And nothing good came of it for him. It didn't accomplish what he was hoping it did. They still killed him. And the truth is, even for us, you know, I thank God it's, it's, it's not that bad in the United States. So there's, there's, there's pretty much zero chance that if you minister to the, uh, to the Circle K cashier that you're going to die from it. At most, you're going to get your feelings hurt, which really is nothing compared. Yet we still shy away just for that simple little thing. But the truth is, if we back down, nothing good ever comes. Even in those situations, you know what? That may have been the time that, that that cashier said yes. It may have been the time that she accepted Jesus into her heart. Her life was changed, but because of fear, we walked away. We need to take a stand. 
I'll be honest with you, you're going to get persecuted. The, especially the more that you represent Jesus, the more, I mean, you've seen it even from uh, uh, in the church as we've stepped out and, and doing these outreaches. We're having issues with the city about our signs and the enemy is coming against us because we're working. And that's not going to stop. We're always going to face challenges. In John 15, 18-20, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Since a servant's not above his master, what he's saying is that if your master is persecuted, the people that are his disciples, the people that are serving him, they're not going to get treated any different. They're not going to get preferential treatment. You will be persecuted. Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 12-13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then we know that Paul was persecuted. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-8, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. If you, if you read into the context of what he's speaking, he's talking about the people that were coming against him that were persecuting him. Paul was persecuted. No matter how great of a Christian you become, you're never going to escape that. And we need to take a stand. Now, I thank God in the United States that we don't deal with the same things they deal with in other countries. And I hope that never changes. It might start, but I hope at the moment, we don't have to fear. We have the freedom to practice our religion. We have the freedom to do these things. But nonetheless, we need to stand firm in our faith because denying Jesus in order to feel a little less pain for any reason will never turn out in your favor or the favor of the people that you're supposed to be ministering to. So we're going to take a look at, uh, we're going to focus primarily on, on Matthew uh, 10, verses 16 through the end of the chapter. But in Matthew 10, 16 through 22, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in, the synagogue, in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother, we will deliver... Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now in this particular story, Jesus is speaking to his twelve disciples. He's getting ready to send them out to the cities of Jerusalem to, to minister the word. But the interesting thing about these words, you know, some people could argue, oh, no, this was just for the disciples. Well, the interesting thing about these words is they seem to actually indicate a future time if you listen to what he's saying. First off, he says that they're going to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When Jesus sent these apostles out, he was sending them just to the Jewish nations. But then he begins to talk about them being in front of Gentiles. Next, 
it says that the Holy Spirit would give them words. It says, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, or what you're to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not what you speak, but the Spirit of your Father. How many know the Holy Spirit hasn't been given yet? Jesus is still on earth, and the Holy Spirit's not given until Jesus ascends. But he starts talking about the, the Spirit giving them words to speak. In verse 22, it says that they would be hated by all for my name's sake. But we're just dealing, he was just sending them out to Jerusalem, but he begins to talk about the entire world hating them. And then last but not least, if we take a look at verse 23, it says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you that you have not gone through all towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. It's talking about Jesus' return. He's speaking to the disciples for a specific time, but these words are applicable to all of us. So he says that we're going to be sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. How many think that sounds like a fantastic proposition? <laughs> it doesn't sound like a great proposition for me, but the truth is I'm willing to do whatever my God asks of me. And this is what happens when you become a Christian. You will be attacked by the wolves of this world. But we're to be witnesses. We're to, be, to set an example of gentleness and love. He says right here, be wise as servant, serpents, innocent as doves. When we're dealing with these people, we're supposed to be gentle and, and loving, even though we're surrounded by wolves. It says we need to be wise. You know, we actually do need to be wise about what we're doing. We need to do the best we can to keep ourselves from being devoured by these wolves. How many know that even though we're, we're sheep in the midst of wolves, God's plan is not for us to be devoured. God's plan is not for us to be killed and, and tossed away on the waves, on, by the wayside. Because wolves attack and devour, but sheep don't. It does describe how we're supposed to be. This is a description of how we're supposed to act. You know, when you get into midst wolves, they begin talking down and biting and devouring, saying terrible things. As Christians, we should never do those things. Even about people that are doing ungodly things, we're supposed to be as sheep, gentle, loving. But the truth is, even when we're being gentle and wise, we will be persecuted. And Jesus said we'd be dragged before courts and flogged, dragged before governors and kings. I know that's happening to people for reals right now. There's, uh, I get stuff from the UCL, UCLJ all the time, and, and actually I could do with them not sending out so many emails, but <laughs> nonetheless I'm hearing all the time about you know, women that are, that are being arrested just for being Christian and keeping in prison. I mean, they're going to, to kill them just for being a Christian. We hear about that. This is actually happening in other countries. And we're a little bit sheltered from it here because the worst we get is someone teasing us or going on TV and saying something bad about God or Christians. But people are dying for their faith. But they're being dragged before these courts. And I want you to know that, that it says that, that this is happening for his namesake. What that means is, is that just because they're a Christian, the only charge against them is that they're a Christian. Not because they did anything wrong, not because they hurt anybody, not because they're bad people. And you're going to be persecuted for the very same reasons, not because you're a bad person, not because you're, you're evil or angry or hateful or hurtful, but just because you're a Christian and nothing else for His name's sake. 
But when this happens, we're supposed to be witnesses. When we're dragged before governors and kings, we should be still setting an example, showing the love of Jesus Christ at all times. The, Bible, the great thing is the Bible says you're going to be given the words to speak. Thank goodness it doesn't rest on your shoulders to do these things. God will give you the strength. God will give you the words. But the worst part is it says even family members are going to turn against family members. And some of us have probably experienced a little bit of this. If the rest of your family is not saved and you got saved, you probably felt a little bit of the sting of this. But once again, we ain't got nothing on the people that are dealing in, in, in other countries, where, particularly where uh, the Muslim faith is strong. I mean, they get disowned from their family. We hear of, of, of uh, Muslim fathers killing their Muslim daughters and their Muslim sons just because they become a Christian, ostracizing them, and the worst case, even death. This stuff is happening right now. But there's good news. I mean, that there's, I'm always glad that, that there's always good news at the end. The Bible says that if, if we endure to the end, we will be saved. Now, what this is not talking about is earning your salvation. I mean, no, you can't earn your salvation. That's not what he's talking about. It's not has to do with, with uh, uh, you know, if you just take it long enough, you're going to be okay. What it is talking about is, is recognizing that this is a free gift that was given to you, and you can give it back. Salvation is a free gift, but if you, if you turn your back on God, if you give your salvation back, then that's not enduring. Enduring to the end is standing in faith to the end. But I thank God that no matter what, it can't be taken from you. You can give it back, but it can't be taken from you. And we need to stand in faith on that. In Romans 8, 38-39, it says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. No matter who comes against you, no matter what persecution comes against you, it can't be stolen from you. As long as you stand in faith, you remain in the faith, as Paul says. In Matthew 10, 23 through 25, it says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? I heard somebody say once that persecution for the Christian is not about if, but about when and how much. But here's where the wisdom comes in. He was talking about being wise. Don't do stuff intentionally to stay in harm's way. When, when he says that we're going to be persecuted, I mean, no, we're not going out there looking for it. Persecution is not God's plan for your life. God does not want you to be harmed. It's a truth of our life. It's a fact of what's going to happen, but it's not God's plan for your life. It's just there's people out there that are going to do terrible things. So unless God is specifically telling you to do something, don't do stuff to get yourself in trouble. Be wise about your ministry. Be wise about these things. You know, if you're, if you're at a job and they'll tell you that you get fired for, for uh, or preaching or to, for ministering the gospel without being asked or without having invitation, 
then wisdom says you don't do it. You just live your life as a godly example. You do. That's being wise. Unless God's specifically telling you to do something at that point, then wisdom keeps you out of harm's way. But how many know that sometimes God will make you, or will ask you to do things that don't make sense? God will never make you do anything. He'll ask you to do it, and it's our job to be obedient. Dr. Leon once told me a story. Uh, he was ministering at the other church, and he told a story that uh, he was ministering to a village in Africa, and it was him and his team, and they went there, and the, the village ended up becoming uh, violent and, and, and chased them out. They left. In wisdom, they left so that they, they weren't in harm's way. Even here it says, if they persecute you in one town, head on to the next. Keep ministering the gospel. Well, don't stay where you're going to get hurt. But then Dr. Leon said, God told me to go back and to take my sons with me, his young sons. I know that's got to be scary. <laughs> but he goes back to this village with his, his, I think he has two young sons at the time, and he walks up to the village and basically said to them, you know what? I've come back with just my sons. If you guys want to kill us, then that's what you need to do. But I want you to know that, that I've come back with nothing with me but my sons to show my vulnerability and to show you that, that I, want to, I want you guys to know that Jesus Christ loves you, that God loves you and has a plan for your life. And they saw what he did, and he was able to minister to that village and to, to get people saved in that village. A, a village that had chased them out now let him in because God asked him to do something a little bit crazy. But personally, in that, that particular case, unless you know it's God telling you to do something, probably not wise to put you or your, handlies, your, you or your family in harm's way for no reason. Because I want you to know God doesn't want you to be harmed. God doesn't want you to be persecuted. God doesn't want you to be hurt. How many of you with children are like, yeah, my kid came home and they were being teased and it was awesome. I felt so good that they had their feelings hurt. Anybody ever felt like that about their kids? Yeah, God doesn't feel that way about you either. He doesn't want you to be hurt. He wants nothing but the best for you. But the truth is, there is an enemy out there that hates you. The devil hates you, and he's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants you to be hurt. But I thank God that even in these situations, that what the enemy is hoping to bring harm to you, God can turn around for good. And we see it all the time. You know, they, they persecute and kill Christians, and all it does is rally people to the cause of the Christian. And then he goes on to say that a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master, but it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. It's like I was saying earlier, you don't have to be better than Jesus to deal with the stuff that Jesus dealt with. Matter of fact, I think we can all agree that none of us are better than Jesus. I don't think that's something that, that any uh, theological masters are arguing about. But it's enough to be like him for people to persecute you like they persecuted Jesus. You know, do you guys remember in, uh, in Luke eleven fifteen where it says, but some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons? They were saying, you're doing this by, by the prince of demons. This isn't God in you. This is you. And Jesus says, you know what? If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, if they've called me Beelzebul and saying that I'm doing these things, how much more are they going to malign or say these things about you as well? Just because you're like Jesus, they're going to persecute you. You know, I've said it before, but one of the greatest things 
And one of the most harmful things I think we can ever tell new Christians is that if, if they become a Christian, they'll never have another problem in the world. The Bible says they're going to be persecuted. They're going to face difficulties they probably never would have had they not become Christians. But it's worth it. And it's true that God will be with them and God will rescue them and God will take care of them, but they'll still face stuff that they never would have had to. It's not all gumdrops and lollipops after you get saved. Some things get harder. But God is with you all the way. This is what he says in Matthew 26 through 33. Jesus says, so have no fear of them. He says, you're going to go through some things, but have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Hey, Monique, did, did the stuff get put in the oven? Yeah. Did, okay, perfect. Pardon me. I wanted to make sure we could eat afterwards, otherwise we'd have a riot. So he says, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that we will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. For fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledged me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, have no fear. You know, we're going to go up against some tough stuff. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be attacked. We're going to be, um, to have our character attacked. But have no fear of them because God is with you. But the truth is that anybody who ever denies Jesus under duress, it's always because of fear. They're afraid of what might happen. Like that poor man who was killed, he was afraid that he was going to get killed if he didn't do what they said. And what happened anyway? In 2 Timothy 1, 6-7, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, Paul knew Timothy was going to go through some stuff. But what did he tell him? He said, Fan into a flame the gift of God. In other words, grow your gift. Grow your faith. Grow in Him. Be bold. Share your faith. In His particular case, teach, pastor, keep moving forward, and don't be afraid. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's, he is with you, but instead He's given you a spirit of, or, of a sound mind and power and love. And the truth is, all these things that these, these people are doing, it's, it's going to be uncovered. <clears throat> so this is going to be revealed. Nothing will be hidden that is not known. It's all going to be revealed. Everything from the, the minor infractions that we see in, in, the, in the United States, you know, someone teasing you or calling you names, to the atrocities that, that ISIS is committing right now, torture, rape, and murder, they're going to be uncovered. Unless they repent and receive the free gift of salvation, they're storing up wrath for themselves. Now I thank God even people that are doing these crazy things are not beyond being saved. And it's the reason why we don't pray that they would all just die. Instead we pray that they would be touched by God because they're God's children as well. I remember a, a story told of, of uh, when Moses crossed the Red Sea 
and all the, the Israelites made it across and then the waters came in and killed all the, all the, the Egyptian soldiers that were chasing them, that there was a, a party in heaven. And everyone's excited and they realize that, that God was nowhere to be found. And the angels couldn't understand why, did, why is, is God not here celebrating this victory of the Israelites? And one of the other angels said, because he just watched thousands of his children die. You know what, just because they're doing these terrible things doesn't mean God doesn't love them. And, and they can experience the same salvation that we've experienced. We need to pray for them and not condemn them. Pray that they would be touched but nonetheless, unless they, unless they repent and turn towards God, accept that free gift, the Bible says they're storing up wrath for themselves. Romans 2.5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You know, we, we see these things happen, and sometimes we're like, man, is there even any consequence? Nobody's standing up. Nobody's doing anything. They're, I mean, nothing is happening. But I want you to know, that God will deal with these things. And he goes on to say, <clears throat> Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, we're not supposed to, to fear men because the worst they can do is kill you. And that's a weird thinking for, for humans to think is the worst that can happen is, is you can die. <laughs> Jeff Foxworthy was telling a joke about it. He's like, you know, we see these rednecks on TV, and we're all not like that, but they always just put the worst of us on, on TV. You know, they put Betty and her moo on TV, and she's like, a tornado came through, and I almost died, or even worse. <laughs> but the truth is that death is the worst that man can do to us. I want you to know that God cares about you. He cares deeply for you. So we shouldn't fear man, but fear this awesome God. You know, I used to read these words in the Bible where it says, why would they tell us to fear God? And I always thought that it was better translated as being in awe of God. And that's still true. But I've come to understand why the word fear is used. Because I think... I think fear is a good word. And I don't mean fear as in terror. We're not afraid of him like he's going to come and smack us down for doing something wrong. We're not afraid of him because he's going to hurt us or, or do harm to us or he's going to do these terrible things to us. It's, and that's not the kind of fear that I'm talking about. But it's the same kind of fear that if you were, if you were someone that, that, that works with lions, you're someone who trains lions and you're in there working with them, how many of those people have a, a, what I would refer to as a healthy fear of the lion? They recognize the power and the potential of what the lion could do. That doesn't mean that they're, they're afraid to go in there into the cage. It doesn't mean they're afraid to work them. They're afraid to train them. They, they don't have that kind of fear, but there is a, a, fear, a healthy fear in all respect for what the animal is capable of. What about people who, who work out in the ocean every day, like crabbers or something like that? How many know that they're, they're not afraid of the ocean in the sense that it's going to jump up and, and, and bite them in the butt or something, or it's going to attack them, but they, they do have a healthy fear of the ocean. They're in awe of its power, its capabilities. And I think as Christians, we need to get back to that. Somehow, we've, we've, we've relegated God to the words that we can use to describe Him. You know, we refer to God as omnipotent. Omnipotent? omnipotent? What is that word? Omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. There we go. Praise God. Too many omnis are mixing me all up there. But we use those words... 
We use those words to describe God because it's how we can understand it. But it's not really accurate. God is so much farther above those things. Our, our view of God is somehow diminished to what we can describe. And somewhere along the lines, we've, we've lost our fear and even our awe of God. He's just something we, we hear about on Sundays. And we flippantly say prayers to Him, not even recognizing who we're talking to. I think as Christians, we need to have that fear. It says, fear of Him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. How many know that much like the, the trainer would look at the lion, we're not afraid of God because He loves us, He cares about us. He's going to actually begin to talk about that here in a few minutes, but we need to recognize who God is, understand His power. While He loves us so much and He would never do it, at His word, this all could be wiped out. There's a reason to have a healthy fear of that power, of who He is, His position, His stature. We need to get that all back of God, that healthy fear. But you guys understand what I'm saying, the difference between fear like a night terror and the fear that I'm speaking of? I finally understand why they use that word fear. But then he goes on to say that when we face these things, we need to remember that we are loved by God. He starts talking about, are two sparrows sold for a penny? Basically, a couple sparrows is what he's saying is worthless. They're only worth a penny. And he says, but even then, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even then, something this worthless, God is aware of what's going on in their lives. And he says, how much more so does he care about you, that, he aware, that he's aware of what's going on in your life? You know, when you're being persecuted, it's not because God looked away for a moment. He, he understands. He's there for you. He loves you. He still cares for you. The Bible says here, this is when it says that even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows everything about you. He is with you and by your side. So it says, fear not, because you are more valuable than these sparrows. You are so valuable that He sent His only Son to die for you. He valued you more than He valued His very own life. God is with you. I want to read you a, a few scriptures. I don't have them up on the board, but there's four scriptures, and it's just some of them where it talks about God loving His children, how He cares for us, and how He values us. In Psalm 37, 25, it says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or His children begging for bread. Hebrews, 11, or Hebrews 13, 5-6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And in Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And no matter what we're going through in this life, these are words of encouragement. God is with you always. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. You know, the worst thing that can happen to us ever is to deny Jesus because of fear. 
to give back our salvation because we're afraid of what man can do to us. Especially because it's a fear that God has declared over and over and over in His Word that we should not have. Goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say that everyone who acknowledged me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. These are powerful and scary words. And I can never remember the guy's, guy's name. I think, it's, uh, I think it was Mark Twain who said it. We were just talking about it last week. He said, it's not the, the things in the Bible that I don't understand that scare me, but it's the things that I do. This seems pretty clear to me. You acknowledge Jesus before man, and he acknowledges you. You deny him before man, and he'll deny you. It's always amazing to me when Christians say that, oh, we can't, you know, we, we don't want to be rude. Somehow in this world, we've come to, to think that uh, if we share our faith, then we're being rude or we're pushing our. Anybody ever heard that? I don't, I don't want to push my religion on people. I want you to know that's what you're called to do because you care for them, because you actually love them. You don't want them to die, you want them to have hope, the same thing that you have. That's not pushing a religion. That's saving them. That's loving them well. Or have you ever heard people say that I'll, I'll let my kids make their own decision as they grow up to what religion they want to follow? If you're a Christian, there is no other religion. <laughs> the only way to salvation is through Jesus. If you, if you let your, your, your children choose not to believe in God or, or you, let them, you don't encourage them, obviously you can't make the decision for your children. But if you don't guide them in the wrong direction... That's not love. You know, somehow it's become socially unacceptable or rude for us to share our faith, but I would, I would argue that it's unacceptable to watch people on their way to hell without offering them any opportunity for hope. So let's look at a few times that, that people are persecuted in the Bible. You guys know the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Great story. In Daniel 3, 15 through 18, it says, Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let me give you some backstory. This is like a whole chapter that I'm trying to, to bring down into one small point here, but... Basically, these are three men that came to the, the, the kingdom of Babylon. They were taken captive with Daniel. And they were to be trained and educated to serve the king, this king here, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And from the very beginning, they began to reject what they had. Instead of the passing pleasures of sin, they rejected it and wanted to stand with their God and not accept what was given to them. So if you remember when they first got there, Daniel's like, we don't want the king's food. Just feed us the worst that you got. Just vegetables and water. And the guy in charge of him was like, well, if I do that, you're going to wither away and then I'll get in trouble because you're not strong like the rest. And he says, well, try it for 10 days and see what happens. So they were fed just vegetables and water and God made it so they were even stronger than those who were, who were eating the great food that the, the king was providing for them to be strong, to serve him well. 
So long story, up, long story short up to this verse is the king made a golden image and proclaimed that any time music was played, that's what it's talking about here, hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music, every time it's played, everyone has to fall down and worship this golden image. How many of that's a problem if you're, if you're someone who's serving God? So they refuse to do it, and they get dragged before the king. They refuse to worship any other god, and here's where they end up. And I really love the attitude of these guys because they tell him, you know what, we're not going to serve, we're not going to worship this God of yours, his molten image. And he says, you know what, our God, if it be his will, will save us out of this. But this is the part I like. But even if not, let it be known to you that we're not going to worship your God. Even if we're willing to die for our God rather than serve your false one. So here's how the story ends in this one. They take a stand. They trust God. So the, king said, the king's irritated at this point. He gets angry and he says, you know what? Heat the furnace seven times hotter than it would have been otherwise, than the normal heat. It's so hot that the people that throw them in the furnace die alongside with them because just opening the furnace door is so hot it kills everybody standing in front of it. And they throw them in. They're bound and they throw them in there. And then, and then what happens is... is uh, let me just read it to you. Daniel 3, 24 through 26. Not going to be up there. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fire furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servant of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then they came out of the fire. They didn't die. God saved them. God is able to protect you and keep you safe. In this particular case, God rescued them from the furnace. And Jesus himself was in the fire with them. Wait a minute, how was Jesus there? He didn't, he didn't come until thousands of years later. Well, you remember in John, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then the Word became flesh. Jesus has always been since the beginning. The Bible says everything was created through Him. And He was with these men in that furnace. It said He looked like the Son of God's. And He kept them safe. Because they took a stand. Regardless of what it might have cost them. And then Daniel deals with the same thing. The persecution of Daniel. What time do we got? Oh. Daniel 6, 7 through 10, it says, All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors, agree that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. injunction. Matter of fact, before we even read this, let me give you the backstory on this one. Long story short, Daniel interprets some writing that shows up on the, on the, the wall uh, to King Belshazzar, who's the king of the time. And... Uh, Basically, the interpretation is to the king's doom. It says that you've, been, uh, uh, you've lifted yourself up, you've been weighed, you've been measured, and you're going to die. And that very night, he dies. So then Darius, who I think is the king of the, the Medes, uh, he, he rises up in his place. And because of, the, the, of interpreting this, Daniel is put in a position of authority. Basically, there's a, 120 satraps that are in rule of all the kingdom, and then three high officials who those 120 satraps uh, answer to. David is, or Daniel is one of those three. So he's, he's in a pretty high position of power. But because of who he is, because he loves God, he's serving his God, he gets persecuted. 
And basically, the 120 satraps and the other two officials are trying to throw him under the bus. They're trying to find something, anything, to get him cast down. The problem is, Daniel's a godly man. They can find nothing to accuse him of. So what they do is, is coming, I guess that really wasn't long story short. That was just long story made not quite as long. <clears throat> so here's what happens after that. And, and verse 7 says, All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, the king Darius signed the document and injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously done. So basically, like, we have nothing against this guy. We're going we're gonna to get the king to make up a law so we have something against this guy. Because they, they knew who he was. They knew that he was going to pray three times a day. And then it says that Daniel knew about this law. Daniel knew what was going to happen, but he took a stand. He said, I'm going to serve my God, regardless of the consequences. You know, if it was made illegal to serve God in this country, what would you do? So the people trying to stick it to him have this, this law made, and then they point it out. They come to the king, oh king, look what Daniel's doing. And the worst part is, the king actually likes Daniel. He doesn't want to do this. He's actually distraught by this whole thing. But because they, they did it under this thing here with the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked, the king couldn't revoke what he had already done. It was, what's done is done, and, it, and there was no way to change it. Even the king himself could not change this law. So Daniel gets thrown into the den. The, the distraught king throws him in the den and even seals it himself. And he says to Daniel, he says, you know, may your God rescue from this situation. So how does the story end? Most of us have already all know this story, but in Daniel 6, 19, to, 19 through 22, it says, And at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tongue, tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, as your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Once again, he was rescued out of this situation, out of this persecution. And in both cases, God used what the enemy meant for harm to lift up his name in these kingdoms. In this particular case, uh, King Darius tells everybody that, that, uh, that everybody is to, to fear and tremble before the God of, of Daniel. And he takes and throws all the people that try to throw him under the bus into the lion's den and they all get eaten instead. But you know what, I want you to know that when persecution comes, every one of these men trusted God, but they didn't know what the outcome was going to be. They very well could have died. Matter of fact, there's many men and women who have died for the kingdom of God. John the Baptist was persecuted. Matthew 14, 1-9, it says, The time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are working him. For Herod has seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip, Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. 
And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he committed it to be given. John was beheaded because of serving God. You see, he was standing up for God and godly principles saying that, hey, you really need to not be having this incestual relationship with your, with your brother's wife. And not only did Herod was upset by being called out, but especially the Herodias was upset because she's the one that ends up getting his head on a platter. And John the Baptist dies. Does this mean that God wasn't with John? Absolutely not. God was always with him. As a matter of fact, God used him to proclaim the coming of Jesus. He's the one that baptized Jesus. But the truth is, there have been many who have given their lives for the gospel. Even in all these terrible tragedies, God uses what the enemy meant for harm, for the good, and for his kingdom. Jesus sets the example in this, the greatest case where the, where the devil thought he had it. He thought he, he killed Jesus. He thought he had it made. God uses that situation to turn around and it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to mankind since they were initially created. Almost all of the apostles are martyred, are killed for their, for their faith. But God was still with them. God was with them the whole way. And they endured to the end. And I want you to know they believe it was worth it. They believed it then and they know it now. Paul says that I, I, I am, uh, oh, I forget how the words go. He says, basically says, I know in whom I have entrusted what I've given him until that day. He know who he trusted. I want you to know that the gospel requires your life. Jesus requires your life. The truth is that every Christian will give their life if they're a true Christian. Some of them have been martyred and they've, they have actually given their life and they have died for the gospel. But the rest of us, instead of dying for the gospel, we need to live for the gospel and still give our lives. Take a stand for the kingdom of God. You know, whether you give your life literally or you live your life for the gospel, your life is not your own. It was bought with a price. In John 18, 17 through 18, I'm going to take a quick look. I'm going to try to get through this pretty quick. Quick look at the story of Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. In John 18, 17 through 18, it says, A servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves, and Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. He ends up doing this three times. Every time they ask, Hey, weren't you with Jesus? He says, I'm not. He denies Jesus. One thing is, is, is uh, Jesus told him he would. He's like, no, I'll, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. He said that I'll, I'll follow you to death and beyond. And he's like, well, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You know, he, he was probably appalled and offended by that. But then he realizes it happens. So what happens in this case? 
Does this mean all, all hope is lost for Jesus? Or for, sorry, for Paul? It's not. You know, the, pro, the only time that we fail is if we don't get back up. Because you guys know the story, right? He gets the opportunity to be restored. He repents, turns back towards Jesus. If we're ever in a situation where we have denied Jesus for any reason, get back up. Don't let it stay that way. You can't do anything about what has already happened, but you can change what happens going forward. See, the good news in, in the story here is it says in John 21, 15 through 19, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Then he says, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times. And symbolically, he gets the opportunity three times to reaffirm his love for Jesus. But what is the requirement of all those who love Jesus? To feed and tend his sheep and follow him. Take a stand for him. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? Let's share the gospel. Let's preach the gospel. Let's stand for him, taking every opportunity. In the end of Matthew chapter 10, and verses 40 through 42, it says, whoever receives me, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is, righteous per- is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You know, those who receive us will receive what we have for them. Do you know what you have for them? You have treasure in earthen vessels. You have hope that people need. If they deny you, they've denied him who sent you. But if they receive you, they get to receive that and participate in the same reward that you and I have. If they will remain in him, just as if we will remain in him, we will never lose our reward. So this morning... Let's resolve to take a stand for Jesus regardless of the cost. Especially because in the United States, the cost really isn't that high. And let's do it in wisdom and in gentleness. And let's be faithful to serve and stand for Him and to give people the opportunity to secure the reward. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand our feet.